So, Navia, I, I felt a little bit like uh, I'd been run over by a train <laughs> after after reading it. But I'm so happy to to have you with me in studio. Uh, that first chapter doesn't fully allude to the breadth of what you've done with this book. Uh, it appears to be about two elderly people who've lost their son, this stranger who's trying to ingratiate himself in. What made you decide these three characters to start with? were going to be the vehicle for what turns out to be such an epic and, and enormous novel in some ways. Ah, oh, thank you, Joanne. First of all, it's really exciting for me to be here on air with you. So thanks for that. Thank you for um, coming. So, I mean, you know, f- f- first of all, I, I really wanted a story that would um, entertain as well as, I guess, inform. Um, and so, you know, the epic structure um, for me, having Zamani as the propeller of the novel and the Mlambos with their missing son, for me, was it was a great premise. And I wanted to follow that and see um, where can I go with that and how to build strands out of that uh, for the story to take other forms and shapes. Yes. So it was really, for me, really was an experiment. Um, and I love the thrill, to be honest, the thrill of a missing son, mm. um, distraught parents um, and a devious manipulating lodger, right? All ingredients for a entertaining and mysterious tale. Um, but I also wanted, you know, as you, we read, as we're entertained, I hoped, therefore, also to tell a larger story. Um, and I think this is born from books I've loved reading. Yes. Um, I'm thinking here of when I was growing up, I loved mystery thrillers yeah. from childhood, mm-hmm. right? From the Nancy Drews, the Hardy Boys, through my teens, John Grisham, Robert Ludlum. Mm-hmm. I read, and I, and I think there's that, um, I love thrill. Um, at the same time, I love literature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, when you think uh, there's this book, The Tin Drum by Gunter Grass. Yeah. It's a German novel. It's mm-hmm. a big, it, it does all, what I try to do with my book um, is what he did with German history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. We have here in South Africa, Josek Simdaz, you know, he's known for his big books, yes, you know, about yes. South Africa. So um, I was inspired to merge these various strands and just to see what comes out of it. This is a highly political and historical novel. Essentially, you're, you're traveling through time from the dawn of the Cecil John Rhodes era. You, you travel through Ndebele royal history. You traverse more recent history during the Ian Smith era, era mm-hmm. and you bring it back to the modern day. What was your intention when you first sat down to write, to actually journey with the reader through all those critical periods in mm-hmm. Zimbabwe's history? Oh, wow. So... I'd say this was a book I was teaching myself. I was very interested in our history. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I'm going to try and find, find out what we're about. And, and when I started, I'm like, this is going to be like, a, um, I told myself I'm going to try and fail spe- spectacularly rather than succeed safely. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. I want to figure out what is Zimbabwe. I think that was yeah. for me the sort of issue. What is Zimbabwe? What are we? What, what, what are the various stories and ideas and philosophies? And, and that's how I actually went through the various histories. And it was fascinating, you know, when you go through each period and you have different versions and ideas about history. So for me, one of the most interesting aspects of history when I was reading was um, about Queen Lozike, right? She's a Debele queen, Debele yes. royal history. Mm-hmm. We don't learn that in our official history. And then, of course, learning about Rhodesia. For me, learning about Rhodesia by reading ex-Rhodesians work, like they've got blogs, they're Facebook pages, actually, where ex-Rhodesians gather, it was like eavesdropping, mm. right? Um, and it was fascinating. Um, of course, there's a lot of racism, right? The very, like, r- racist memories and desires to reinstate Rhodesia. There were also some very... Um, poignant memories about family and love and growing up um, on the streets of um, Salisbury, which was the hurry. You know, so um, just getting that diverse um, sort of picture of Rhodesia sort of gave me, I guess, a deeper appreciation for 
Zimbabwe in the complex uh, space that we are um, right now. And of course, the, <laughs> I guess, complex history that white Zimbabweans have to go, have been dealing with, yes. right? Which is also our history that yeah. we have to deal with from mm-hmm. different perspectives. Um, and of course, you can't run away from politics when you <laughs> when you talk about, I think, our countries, right? Um, I, I imagine you sitting in that library because I, I hadn't quite realized when I read the book that you had written this as part of a degree. Yes. So, so, so there was... It was clear. I picture you sitting in that library for, for for three years. Oh yes, and pouring over what was available there in terms of your history and weaving that so beautifully into this novel. That is exactly what happened, uh, Joanne. So in in my apartment in Iowa City, I would I would have a stack of books this high, like very high. Um, I'm, I have my hand up right now, yeah. phone, radio, um, next mm-hmm. to my bed, mm-hmm. and I'd just be perusing through books. Um, and the University of Iowa Library has a fascinating plethora, like of both fiction and nonfiction. Mm. on Zimbabwe, on South Africa as well. It was so fascinating. Um, Books that were not available in Zimbabwe. Um, So I did a lot of obsessive reading from everything. I tried to read everything I could get my hands on, Mm. from academic texts to non-academic texts to uh, war fiction. We have uh, war fiction written during the Liberation War. That's not available now, you know. Yes, yes. Um, I read books from everywhere else around the world, right? I was really trying to devour, I guess, Zimbabwe and spit it out on the page. And, and that's exactly it, isn't it? Because it goes into you, it's processed inside of you, and then what comes out is your interpretation of all of that history. Exactly. Wow. You have, <laughs> you've hit the nail on the head. Okay, so this is very interesting for me. I mean, Gokura Hundi has a particular resonance, obviously, because of Bukosi's disappearance. What, why was that event going to be the catalyst for the story that you told? You know, when it's when I started writing, because I started writing in 2011 when I was still at Wits University, actually, oh, right. um, and then I moved to the United States in 2013. I, it wasn't clear to me that Kukarundi um, was going to be the center of the novel, but it's only when I started just asking my family members, my mother. Mm-hmm. So my mother, growing up, she was a city woman, right? She was a teacher, yes. um, lived in the city, loved partying, perms, you know, high <laughs> heels, is. perfume. She, I knew yeah. her as that woman. But when I started asking her about our history, she was very eager to talk about the Liberation War, for instance. Very free, you know, she was a teenager at the time. It was when I asked about Kukura Hundi that she became visibly upset, mm-hmm. right, and yes. would not talk about it, right. Um, I caught her by surprise. I just asked her casually, and she really got, she, she, you know, she froze, and she wouldn't look at me, and she snapped at me. So that's when it, you know, it's like, oh, whoa, what have I stepped on here? And I think that's what made that particular tale central to the novel, even as it, you know, weaves and interlinks to other aspects of our history. Speak to me about this notion of hidden histories that mm-hmm. we were speaking to, uh, uh, speaking about off air, because mm-hmm. I think many of us who've lived these these various strands of historical trauma mm-hmm. are suddenly in in the modern uh, post postmodern age right yes. now looking at at our ancestors' history, looking at that trauma again, why are we revisiting it, Navir? Yes, I mean, it was fascinating when you're telling me about revisiting your own historical, your family and history and trauma. Um, And uh, several books are are doing that currently. Um, There's Shintu by Jennifer Makumbi, Uganda. There's Dust Yvonne, that's Kenya. I mean, it's it's, it's Mm. fascinating. You know, I I think it's also a way to try and make sense of our postmodern lives, right? Because I feel like right now we sort of live uh, what's considered ahistorical lives, but history keeps repeating itself. Yes. And for me, that was it. I was really, when I started writing this as well, one of the motivations was, what is going on? How did we get here? 
in Zimbabwe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this was in the two, 2008, 2009. And thinking even growing up, my so-called... Uh, rosy memories of growing up at home and then what it had become, uh, I guess, disillusionment, dystopia. For me, it's also trying to, and it's interesting, as I was reading history, right, as you read history, you start making little connections. I'm like, oh, the present is connected to the past, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yes. Um, so I think it's also that desire for me to just try and understand and make meaning and hopefully see like a big picture of what we are in all our complexity. You know, it's it's amazing to me because, uh, I mean, I, I'm grappling with this myself. There, there's a good deal of violence in this book. You witness the rapes. Uh, one of the female characters whom you hope is going to be a future revolutionary leader meets a violent end. People burn to death in a barn, you know. Mm. Um, the violence is omnipresent, mm. even when it's simmering in the background in mm. a corner. And, and it's palpable, even though you, you introduce that humor to break it quite beautifully, I think. Yes. Well, was that a dilemma for you as a writer, knowing how much violence mm. to make your reader face up to? So um, I remember when I was writing some of the violent scenes at Iowa and I would, I would rush through them. And then one of my writing teachers at Iowa, um, Charlie Charleston Rozier, brilliant American writer, yes. he told me, you actually need to sit with this. Um, when you rush through the violence, your reader will feel it. And of course, you know, as you know, when you're writing, you're re-experiencing what's on the page. You're mm. re, um, yes. So he had advised me the hardest thing you have to do is to sit and not look away. And I think for, for this project, it was important because in Zimbabwe, we, we have a culture for looking away, right? Even with the genocide, the idea is it was too horrible. Let us look away. Yes. Um, and, and I think for, for me, I guess, uh, for, for instance, why um, Tandy is a character, this fascinating woman is introduced early and we get to know her, loves her. I thought of my mother. I tried to imagine this woman. I cannot imagine my mother growing up in the genocide mm. or the liberation war. She seems to me to be a new woman, right? I grew up knowing a very different idea of her. Um, and so I, for me to, to look at her and think this woman went through all of this, experienced this, right, in her life, um, because I can't reconcile those things, I wanted to reconcile them in the novel. Right? Oh, Someone right. have the humor, but also um, to have that violence because it's there. Um, and also, tr- it's very omnipresent because I think it's with us in Zimbabwe. And I see it with my mother. She may not admit it. Um, I, I feel like she, she, I, I feel like she suffers from post-traumatic stress. Um, she'll, she'll do strange things. She'll probably, you know later on berate me for so when we're growing up even my little sister has experienced this we'll be walking on the street and then my mother will turn around like that man's following us so she has this thing mm. of people following us like, yes. be careful and you know as a kid you, you brush it aside by growing up I wonder where did that come from yes, that yes. fear yeah. that paranoia so mm. so little moments like that um, at the same time it was my hope that the characters would not be you know we have these quintessential victims that we see on TV I was also interested in complicated like you, you, a person you, th- you do not see as a victim having gone through that what's that like yes. how can you explore that on the page mm. and you have people like Mama Agnes right who does not want to visit that part of her life yes. that Zamani is trying to prod yeah right yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's fascinating I mean there, there are some critics who would say we know Zimbabweans inhabit a violent society that's how mm. they have lived for hundreds of years mm. with violence in, in some form or another mm. is it better to allude to the violence rather than, than force the witness the, the reader the wi- to witness it <laughs> what, what is the uh, the answer to that dilemma I think we've alluded to the violence for so long and that's why it never goes away um you see it now, I think, with the post, you know, the news in Bobby. So it's, move on, the past is dead. And then we had the, you know, the the horrible killings, August 1, where the soldiers were shooting people on the streets. Yes. It feels to me like just deja vu of history. 
Um, and for me, in a, in, in a society where we're always told to look away, it is actually the act of looking that I feel will bring catharsis, um, like just the bigger sense of things. And I'm thinking of Germany here, which I think is a perfect, you know, country that has had to deal with the Holocaust, yes. right? Um, I have a friend who visited Germany, um, and she was telling me that on the on the trains they have the Never Again stickers, right? Mm -hmm. Never Again, and yes. things like that, and the yes. museums, and there's a fund in Germany dedicated to Holocaust films and literature, right? So there's all this, uh, there's a lot of unpacking we need to do, mm -hmm. right? Because I think in, in our African countries, Southern African countries particularly, where we had the settler um, colonialism, um, we have traumas built upon traumas. Our our nations, our cell, our identities, it's just trauma upon trauma that keeps yeah. piling up. Like a foundation like, of, yes, of yes. Yeah. So how do we run away from that? How do we get away from that foundation? By unpacking it, I think. Do you think on that note that, that literature can be a site of exorcism oh, for wow. past Beautiful. trauma? Definitely. Definitely. Um, for me, because I, I guess fiction, because fiction is about human experience primarily, right? It's for me. It's a it's a beautiful way of immersing the reader, um, drawing the reader into other characters' lives, right? Yes. Um, because you you know, I mean, other platforms are great. Debate is great. But um, one thing we cannot deny: um, you cannot deny feeling, right? You cannot deny what you feel, and that's what for me what literature is all about. And it's more of the slow cook. It's just like a slow process, right? Yes. Yes. Um, it's immersive. It's immersive. It? And yeah. think of literature and the art in general as, as, as you know, their role in a society. And I'm thinking of the USA where I'm based and, and I've seen that happen there. And I'm thinking of South Africa, actually, that has a very vibrant literary industry mm -hmm. on the continent, right? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the art, uh, it's, 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 it's inspiring and, and you get to see the effects of that. It also inspires discourse. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, literature is often disregarded as a way to actually work work through the pain and trauma and yes. the shame too yeah i mean how, how do we bring literature into the into the mainstream to be able to do that with it to use it as a tool of healing you know and i'm, I'm now thinking of again the usa yes institutions you know i mean it's 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 a very deliberate thing in society so you find the arts fund in the usa is dedicated primarily to right, to promoting the arts to getting people to read um reading in universities and also uh, an industry right and i think south africa is building that really well like an industry way of reading and of course on the continent the issues of literacy there are all sorts of things um but i think what literature can bring that other modes cannot bring that literature is a very private experience mm. right before you get to share with others it's just you and the book it's it's reader and work right and it's an active the reader needs to participate in the work for it too it's, it's not a, a passive experience unlike yes. watching tv yes. right you're not just taking in you're actively reimagining and interpreting what's on the page right, right? um and i think pe people do read it's it's just i guess um because the book has been dying for decades and it's still alive, you know, mm. according to... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, that brings me to the question of the genre which mm -hmm. you chose. I mean, there, there are probably a hundred ways you could have framed these stories that yes. you had consumed. What faith led you to the belief that fiction was the best genre over any other to tell the story? Oh, Joanne, um, I've, I'm a, I was that bookaholic kid. <laughs> <laughs> Like, um, so from, a, you know, from an early age, I was that kid who read, but I, you know, when I started writing, I, it was like from a sense of jealousy, 
I wanted to produce things that made me feel the way the books I read made me feel. Right? Mm. Like I, I want to be able to produce something that makes me feel this way. So I mean, books like Chimamanda teaches Half of a Yellow Sun. Yes. Of course, Gunter Crashton Drum. Um, so those, I mean, you read a work and it stays with you. And you sleep and you think about it and you wake up, you want to go share it with someone else. Um, so that was really my motivation. Like I, I feel like I could... It's, it's it's one field where I can do this. It's also a field that, to be honest, it's it's a low cost field compared to if I'd wanted to, to do a movie. <laughs> Imagine me in Zimbabwe <laughs> <Sure>. trying to. <laughs> um, but also, I think literature has the the capacity again to reach a wide range of people, right? Um, I've seen it in the USA, and I, I think we we can do that. We're slowly building that here. If you think of the Abantu Festival, for instance, that yes. I mm-hmm. attended in December, the, it had the biggest crowd ever, like I'd ever seen from just my few travels since the book had come out. Yes. So that ability um, to be able to write something and go and talk to people about it and get people maybe interested in reading it. And um, of course, social media also plays a part in that and also sharing about what they've read. Yeah. yeah. Explain to me, uh, especially comparatively, mm-hmm. how how audiences have received it. It's very interesting. Africans, and, and I, I guess it makes sense, there was, Africans um, seem to um, understand the book more, whether actually from Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa and Zimbabwe, because those have been my main readers. Um, the, I've found uh, that they understand the book, and I wonder if our cultures are very intertwined or similar. Um, so Af- in America, um, some readers find it a bit difficult. Mm-hmm. They don't know the history, Zimbabwean history. Yes. Um, in Britain as well, which, which I find strange. Um, I, I think it's a privilege, I feel, to be able to have work or literature open of it, to you, if, if that makes sense. Um, I'm thinking of the way I used to read. I used to read books from everywhere. Right? Yes, yes. And um, say Germany, I picked up Gunter Syndrom, not knowing the specifics. You knew about the Holocaust. I don't know much about German culture. It's a translation from German. Um, and I found I, I'm not, I've loved reading books from everywhere. So, and I've I've never taken it for granted that I must understand every single aspect in the book. Right? I take what I can. Sometimes yes. it's the beauty of language characterization. Um, so, so I, for me, I wonder for what we call the you know the Western countries. I guess being the center of the world gives you the privilege, right? <laughs> um, um, to sort of expect that everything's addressing you, which which was also part of this book, right? Because it's it's a uh, it's a, a book about Zimbabwean, Zimbabwe's history. Um, when I wrote it, I never, you know, I never had to think about audience. I didn't think about audience. Yes. I thought it's home audience. Mm-hmm. Then I, I became shocked when I was trying to get it published. When you know these issues about, you know, Americans or British, um, like I must think about them as audiences and what they'll think. And it became, um, it's something I actively try to move away from that um did, did you have to alter your manuscript I, based on on the possible readership the I, potential readership? that was uh, i i had to refuse it was a difficult <laughs> decision yes. you know first book you want to get published but mm-hmm. to be honest this book was just too it's too big it's, it was too important to me to actually um mess around if i if i can put it that way yeah. so i remember i will never forget the editor wanted me to put an american character in the novel who zamani would be talking to explaining the history of zimbabwe and I, you know, I just had to say, no, that that's that spoils the whole book, right? It's not about America. It's yeah. not about Americans. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I feel like the book will find its place. It will find its readers. Um, 
a book is a book. It, it goes out into the world and it lands where it lands. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're very <laughs> philosophical about it. <laughs> but, um, I mean, there is this element of, and, and perhaps it's an African thing, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's the way we perceive life and the way we understand life, is mm-hmm. that you, you take, you, you put, you put the reader on this roller coaster with you <laughs> and you are, you say to the reader, there are going to be lots of, of thrills and spills along the way, but mm. I'm not letting you get off till the journey is done. Yeah. And and there is a bombardment of all sorts of things, information, emotions, yes. you know, and along the way. So it, it's very emotionally dense yes. and informationally dense. Yes. Is that perhaps where the difficulty lies for, for the Western reader who's perhaps just not used to that way of writing? I think so, um, Joanne. And, and also remember, for me, I always say <laughs> African writing, um, African writing, I, I, I feel like it's export literature. Um, if you remember during the colonial times, you'd have the explorers coming to Africa, then yes. they would translate Africa for their readership. And right. of course, all sorts of ridiculous things. Then they claim to see men with heads in their chests and all sorts of um, myths that were purported to be facts, right? Yes. And, and for me, the way, the way Western readers read, and this is not so much, a, it's an observation. For me, it's that continued tradition. I, I feel a desire them it's a desire to be addressed as an tell us about Africa tell us about your country tell us about your culture right and this is something that this book expressly does not do or could not do um, I, it would have been weird for me to, to write a book about Zimbabwean history talking to Americans because in the book I am first of all talking to myself I as a Zimbabwean am trying to understand mm. and I'm trying to get other people but we're all trying to understand together what this is um, so, so the idea of displacing myself as a person, i.e. as an African subject, to address an outside audience, which is the continuation of colonial project, really, was something I found weird. I was also copying um, European literature, do you understand? Like, Gunther Grass was talking to Germany, yes, to Germans. Yes. When that book was received in America, it was implicitly <laughs> acknowledged that he's talking to Germans. Mm, something yes. that's never done with our fiction. It's right. a very weird sort of... Um, it's got to be read yeah. in context. Yes, it? we yeah. are never read in context, yeah. and and I and I it just confuses me. Um, but yeah, it's almost as though uh, our experiences require mediation of some kind. Oh my, yes, something that I again want to um, push back against. I also love the mystery, right? We are mysterious people. I, I don't like the idea that Africa or being an African, being from this continent, means you're an open book to the rest of the world. You are easily delineated. Um, I, 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 uh, and what I really wanted for House of Stone was a sort of complexity I've seen in all works from everywhere, including Western works, works about America, works about, you know, London. I was inspired by that, yeah. you know, mystery, complexity, human beingness, you mm-hmm. know, um, laughing, love, life, violence, death, pain, joy, everything. Yeah. Can I squeeze that into a could can I squeeze that into a novel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you've done so quite successfully. I want to just ask you, particularly uh, on this issue of um, of Western audiences, mm-hmm. uh, the New Inquiry has just run a really interesting article on enjoying fiction potentially inspired by real events and and how we should respond to traumatic events mm-hmm. that are recorded oh, that I, way. And I'm okay, there, there was a natural enjoyment for me as a reader in your beautiful writing and your plotting, mm-hmm. but there was also, I have to admit, an mm-hmm. element of voyeurism and the way I witness the pain and trauma of these characters unfold. Mm. How, how should we as readers move beyond being mere voyeurs and internalizing these traumatic events? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or is that not up to the author to consider? Is that entirely dependent on what we choose 
to bring to the experience of reading a novel like The House of Stone? That is a beautiful question. Because I've had anxieties about that. Um, and my friend, No Violet, will I, the writer, has been chastising me. <laughs> I have uh, <laughs> an, uh, this desire to help the reader read the book. Yes. And it's like, you can't do that. You um, you have to let the reader bring what they have um, and, and take out of the book what they will. And sometimes it may not be something that you like. For instance, I, you know, um, I, I always dislike when I hear Western readers saying, you know, I wish you know I this this you know I wish I understood this more. I'm like yeah, this if if you read in context, you know you this book is not about you. Um, um, so I think really we need for a book to be successful, um, or otherwise we do need that space. You need to give the reader space to um, decide how they're going to read the book. Tandem um, Kolozana um, said something yes. brilliant at Abantu that we don't read books as they are; we read books as we are. So mm-hmm. at different points in our lives, you can pick up a book at different points and exactly. you, it will, you will see different things in it. Um, so I have to sort of let go of my obsession. <laughs> I, I've been worrying. I've been wanting to read, like, take this reader. Don't take this. Don't read like this. Read <laughs> Produce a study guide. <laughs> <laughs> Rio, you, you approached this with the central question of what is Zimbabwe. Yes. Did you have any realization? Do you, do, were you able to answer that question as a writer by the end of this book? For me, um, Zamani is an embodiment of that question. Whether or not I answer, is, uh, it's answered, I guess, is up to the reader. Um, but I mean, at the time when I finished writing the book, I mean, it, this it's an ongoing question, um, and maybe that's reflected in Zamani. I didn't want to give an answer so much as to you pose a question and you just go with it, and let's see how many how many ways can you how, how many places can you take this question? Yeah. Um, so, um, for me, Zamani is the answer to that question. What mm-hmm. is Zimbabwe? Zimbabwe for me is Zamani. He embodies both the best and the very worst of this um, idea that is Zimbabwe. It's 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 manifestation actually more than because we say you know Zimbabwe is in every country we're like oh we're peace loving, well you know we're peaceful we're loving we're sweet people our history kind of hmm, there, there's some hiccups along the way yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Nubia, what what do you do next I understand you are are busy with a PhD at the moment yeah and, and what is your hope of that are, are we going to have another book from you or is this something that it just needs time to digest to be internalized by readers all over the world mm-hmm. before you uh, embark on the next literary adventure so I mean I guess I'm, I'm ever writing I'm, I'm writing a very different book right now um, but it's a very quiet book yeah. um, but we'll see where that takes me or how far. I'm very. I feel very um, shy talking about works in progress because you know, <laughs> yes, something I in progress. Yeah, if it's in yeah. progress, you you never know <laughs> when it's going to come together. Um, but what I really enjoy for me more than the product. The product is exciting for me. The journey of writing. Um, for me, it's also a way of trying to discover things. So I guess you'd say I'm a selfish writer in that sense. I also write to learn things for myself and to understand. Um, things about myself. So what I can say is this next novel is set in Iowa City, so that will be very interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, so. Great, is there an African connection? Oh, definitely. It's It's got a female protagonist. It's very uncomfortable in this sense. It's probably a bit autobiographical. <laughs> yes. um, something that, you know, you know, debut authors, we al- they always assume your first book is autobiographical. So I, I sort of enjoyed having Zamani as a male, he's a male, right? Yes. And is this, yeah. it's totally fiction. And, and I, it's a question that I think women actually get asked more than men. Is this your, you know, is this autobi- Is this you, you know? 
when it comes to fiction. And I wonder yes. why that has to be the case. But yeah. Very interesting indeed. I'm, I'm, I'm so enjoying watching your evolution as a writer. I can't <laughs> wait for the next novel, although I will give this another reread for sure, uh, because I think that the density of it requires more than one reading to, to really reach an understanding. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming oh. in today. What a pleasure speaking it to you. It has been an honor, Joanne. Um, I'm so excited to be on your show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. And uh, that, of course, uh, was the voice of the author. Uh, it is uh, No Violet. I'm sitting right uh, right next to, to, with the book right next to me. Uh, House of Stone is the book, and it is distributed locally by Penguin.